When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this special interview episode of the Band Biographies podcast. On this episode, I talk to the LA-based indie rock band Them Fantasies. The band is made up of bassist and singer Dominic Canarella, guitarist Eric McCoy and drummer Max Meislish. They met while at music college in Boston, Massachusetts and cut their teeth playing live in Valencia, Spain as part of their course. During 2020 they relocated to LA and while living together have honed their sound and their production skills to infuse a modern pop slickness to their funk-tinged indie rock sound. They found an excited new audience on TikTok, released three singles in 2021 and just put out their new EP, How Modest, which sees them tackle more socially conscious themes like toxic masculinity and the crassness of the privileged elite. This is the first interview I've done that's come to me through a PR agency, so a big thank you to Jeremy Saunders from Biz3 Publicity for the opportunity. Now, sit back and enjoy this chat I had with Them Fantasies. Them Fantasies, guys, how are you doing? We're doing good. Sean, Sean. It's a beautiful morning here in LA. Thanks so much for coming on. To kind of get started, let's give the guys who are listening a bit of an insight into who you are. If you could just kind of introduce yourselves so that people can kind of figure out the voices and who they're listening to. Well, my name is Dominic Canarella. I am the lead singer and the bass player. I'm Max Meislish. I, I play drums and I uh, run backing tracks and all that kind of jazz. I'm HR. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Eric McCoy. I play guitars and backing vocals. Wonderful. Thanks very much, guys. This is a new one for me. It's come through a PR agency. So this is like one of the first ones that I've had that isn't really people that I, I know or have met in real life. So how would you describe your band's style? For me, I hear a few kind of indie influences, but there's also something a bit kind of funky going on in there as well. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the best way to describe our sound is that we sound like Thundercat meets The Strokes. I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's certainly, yeah, it's like a funky kind of indie sound. There are parts in there that I hear that, uh, especially the early stuff, there's a little bit of kind of maybe Incubus or something in there as well. I mean, I don't know Absolutely. if you kind of reel off a couple of your inspirations and influences. 
Yeah, um, we all listen to different stuff, of course. I came from a lot more like grunge stuff. So Soundgarden, Alice in Chains are super, super important to me and my sound. And I think the way that I approach vocals. But now we love like Anderson Pack and, and uh, Tom Mish and things like that, you know. I grew up like kind of as a alt rock kid as well, but more like 2000s alt rock. I mean, I was a rock kid all around. I loved Red Chili Peppers um, and kind of uh, grew up listening to a lot of jazz too. And I got really into J-pop, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> all over the place. Buddy. Yeah, I know, man. It. Uh, I, I listened to a lot of like, especially just like groove based music, but also kind of like happy music sometimes, but definitely growing up like Red Chili Peppers, like the big one. That was like, mm. the biggest thing. And then I grew up on a lot of uh, classic rock and blues. Uh, Steve Ray Vaughan was a big influence for me. Pink Floyd was a big influence. And then uh, as I got older, uh, dove really deep into jazz and like jazz harmony and theory and stuff. Mm. So I'm a big influence as well. That starts to make a lot of sense with the sound because there's a lot of kind of prog influences as well yeah. as, yeah, you can certainly hear the kind of jazz influence as well. So um, yeah, I spent yeah, a lot that's... of time with prog rock growing up. So you guys have been around for what, about five years? I know that you've been through a few drummers over the years, and that's always the way. I've always found <laughs> a, a decent drummer is hard to find who isn't also in about seven other bands, you know? Very valid. Yeah, about about five years. The the iteration of them fantasies really started coming around around like 2018-ish. Hmm. Uh, but but uh, it's, it's a little ambiguous, of course, just because, you know, Eric and I were going through so many different... Uh, iterations of the band not even just different drummers but different names and things like that too mm. so the start of our project was definitely a little more i think ambiguous in terms of like a start time mm. like when did the when did this iteration of them fantasies come about you know what i mean yeah so, we first put together in, in 2018 um but yeah i'd say like you know since moving to la like 2020 was really we're like yo this is full-time like we're taking this super seriously we're, we're in college anymore yeah, yeah. we're in college yeah. for the first bit of it so um, since we've kind of moved, we've been out here for about a year and a half, and that's been like guns blazing full force. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So so it kind of feels it's funny because when we're asked that question, it's like, yeah, we've been playing together for that long, but it really feels like we mm -hmm. just started in like 2020. Like in mm -hmm. my opinion, at least. Of course, we were we were grinding our asses off before that, of course, but we were also in school, you mm -hmm. know. So it's just a little bit different. And we all played in other, other bands with each other, too, like back in school, too. I mean, we've all like had a lot of iterations of different musical contexts with each other. OK, uh, so you all three of you go back to high school, do you? No, college. college. Yeah. Oh, college. OK. University. Yeah, I mm. met Dom the very first day of college. He was living right next to me in the dorm. Mm. OK. And uh, was that in Valencia? I, I, I know that you spent some time in Spain, so kind of explain how that happened. So we all met at Berklee College of Music in Boston. Okay. Uh, and our fourth semester, so our second year, they have a study abroad program in Valencia, Spain. And we went, and that's where we first met Max and had him be our drummer for the, the semester there. So that's where we got the first iteration of them fantasies with Max. And then we were also mm. just living in Spain for four months, which was super sick. It was we recorded awesome. our first album there, played a bunch of shows in Europe. It was pretty, pretty freaking sweet. Right. So was that a, that was a band thing, was it? That was like you guys decided to just move to Spain for four months or was it just like between? It was a program through school and yeah, I just happened to be on the program with them. Okay. Um, yeah, we had a different drummer at the time, actually. Uh, yeah. And the drummer uh, was actually not able to make it uh, up to the program. But the three of us had planned on going 
to the program to record and, and take in all the flamenco influences <laughs> and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and Max was able to come out. So he was our sub drummer then. It was really awesome actually getting to play with him. Um, and that, dude, that was really just getting our feet you know, together and just kind of learning each other's languages or anything. We were, we were gigging as them fantasies, but it was such different music at that point too. You know? mm. Well, it takes you a while to find your sound first off anyway. And then if you haven't got all the right pieces in place, it's then finding yeah. that sound with a new member, isn't it? So yeah, I can see how it's taken a, a couple of years to get to the point where you feel that's your definite sound. So you're in Valencia. Where, whereabouts in Europe did you play? Was it just in Spain and maybe Portugal or was it all over? Yeah, just around there. It was just in Spain. Mm. Yeah, we, we didn't really have any gear out there. So we would have to rent it. Like Berkeley had a campus out there. And because we we had to fly there, we didn't bring our, our gear besides our like our guitars and our pedal boards. So trying mm. to rent gear from Berkeley and then take it across international borders was yeah. probably going to be a bit of an issue. Yeah. It's hard enough to get through taxis, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was part of your course. So what was it literally like a kind of cultural exchange? Is that what that was about? Like yeah. Study abroad program. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. we, we would go there and we'd study, uh, continue our music studies, have our, our basic core classes and whatnot. And then we'd also have like Valencia specific courses, so like Mediterranean music, flamenco music. Uh, which is really awesome because we're all really interested in that. And Spain's obviously a beautiful country. So it was good to get out of the U.S. and like see different cultures. And that was one of the main purposes of it, in mm. my opinion. So are you all kind of well-versed in engineering and recording and all that as well, not just the kind of practical playing side of things and theory? But... Totally. Better at it. Yeah, I've been over the past uh, year and a half, really, since the pandemic, actually, I've been really getting into music production and recording. Um, I wouldn't be able to know like what I'm doing if I go to record like a orchestra or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah. in terms of like sitting down at the computer and arranging and producing in logic, like the modern day producer thing in sessions and things like that, you know, I've, I've been doing that a lot more. Mm. Um, and our roommate who actually produced Caffeine Queen as well as How Modest, our new EP, uh, Nick Smith, he has been amazing to learn from as well. He's a great teacher and he's a fantastic and busy producer out here in Los Angeles as well. Mm. Uh, so I've been learning a lot from him and it's been great. Okay, interesting. We'll come back to that in a little bit further down the line because that's interesting that it's the same producer. But before we kind of get there, before we go too in depth, I always like to ask a few kind of getting to know you type questions uh, just to kind of set the tone. I thought we needed to do a little bit of an in intro as to the band itself and its sound and your influences but if we get into stuff uh, a little bit more personal now, perhaps not too personal, but uh, <laughs> just uh, just so people can kind of get a feel for you. First off, what song do you remember hearing? The first song that you remember hearing that uh, made you think, oh, I, I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to try and, you know, either form a band or maybe even have a career in music. Like, what was that one song? If there was one. <laughs> I got uh Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, it was, mine's a little bit different, but um, when I was a kid, actually, not even a kid, an infant, um, apparently, I kind of remember this, but not really. The only song that would put me to sleep is a baby. The only thing that would was the Lenny Kravitz song, Are You Gonna Go My Way? <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. But, but yeah, when I was like an infant, like crying in the back of my mom's car and like, you know, they wouldn't know what the hell to do. And they would play that song. And that was the only song that would get me to like sleep and calm down. So I think 
that was a sign or something like that, you know. Maybe. It's hardly a lullaby, though. <laughs> no, not at all. Exactly, right? I've never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think it was Short Skirt, Long Jacket by Cake. It was a, my first, like, concert at, like, an amphitheater. I was about 10 years old. My parents took me to go see the, the band Cake, like, the all-rock band from the 90s. Kind yeah, of yeah. Bizarre, out of left center. But I, I remember watching that concert. It was, like, pouring down rain. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I was like, I want to figure out, like, how they're doing this and mm. be able to be on stage. Like, at that point, I was like, I got to play an instrument. I didn't play any instruments at that point. I think I, like, had, like, a guitar lesson, you know? And I was like, oh, classical guitar i don't want to do this one hit hard drums so before they gave me drumsticks so i was like one of those kids that was always kind of knocking at stuff <laughs> <laughs> excellent um for me i would say mm, that's a tough one there's like kind of two um i'd say xanadu by rush wow okay yeah, they were like one of the first bands i got really into when i was like four years old mm. um my first concert as well that i saw uh that was when i realized i was like i want to be a guitar player i want to play in my room do air guitar and pretend like i'm playing this and kind of a weird one to start off with but <laughs> it's a high bar to set for yourself that's yeah. for sure but yeah definitely definitely big influence mm. so do do all three of your families are they all quite musical did they play instruments or were they just fans of music was it neither of those things uh, my, my immediate family, not at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a few like relatives, like my aunt is, uh, is a jazz singer. Um, but like more like local, not anything like ridiculous, but, mm. but so it's like a little bit in my blood, but not really my immediate family. No. Mm. Uh, for me, it's like, I can't think of any, of my family, definitely not. My mom likes to sing. She likes singing choirs and stuff. Um, my, I mean, they're both like artistic individuals. Like my mom, um, acts a lot she loves being in plays i mean she's trained my dad um danced a ton in college and just like they both love being around the arts uh, but music wise not really um it's kind of it's kind of something i just i chose because i just like like tapping on stuff <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> i'm kind of the opposite yeah my entire family is musicians most of them did not pursue it as a profession but as like a hobby my dad's a jazz trumpet player. My mom's a classical vocalist and piano player. Everybody plays classical piano in my family. And then we had, I think I have four or five who did it professionally as well. Right. So it's wow. kind of, it was kind of expected that at least by the time I, we were eight, me and my brother were going to start learning an instrument of some sort. Um, so it was just kind of, kind of expected. I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of music growing up. Mm. My parents were big into like big band jazz. So I grew up listening to a lot of like, um like frank sinatra count basie stuff like that mm. i always wondered what that would be like i came from a family my mum's favorite band i think were the bay city rollers so that oh. kind of tells you everything that you need to know about the household that i was coming up in um, Very cool. <laughs> not at all <laughs> <laughs> so I, I assume though you're all multi-instrumentalists in your own right though right yeah so what what kind of drew you to your individual instruments well, for me, I mean, classic bass player story. It's like, oh, we need a, you know, we need somebody to play bass. No one's going to do it. At all. <laughs> That's not a unique story at all. <laughs> big guitar. Yeah, big guitar. Man. Yeah. 
Uh, but singing, I mean, I've always been singing since I was a little kid, you know, in like music classes in school, as early as I can remember. I just remember really loving singing and being that one kid that was way louder than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Fair play. And Max, I assume yours was obviously always going to be the drums by the sounds of it. Well, I mean, I grew up kind of, I had a phase of guitar and bass too in high school. Like, I like, I was just really fascinated by stuff and I wanted to understand how it works. But drums was like, like the love, you know, it's like, it was my first like, oh my God, this feels awesome. Mm. It's kind of a place that I can go channel all this energy I have that I didn't really know what to do with. Um, and I've been playing since I was like, and after that concert actually <laughs> directly after that concert yeah uh, pretty much i was like oh i gotta do this <laughs> excellent and eric i suppose you again you starting on piano and then moving on to other things or i wish actually i didn't learn piano for okay. I, it was kind of like the kind of thing where because everybody in my family played i was like i'm not gonna do that different uh when i was like really young i started playing guitar when i was eight from about five to eight i thought i was gonna be a drummer because I was also like Max, I was just constantly sitting in class banging things. I still, to this day, tend to gravitate towards drums first in a song, mm-hmm. which is a bit weird, uh, given my main instrument. But I, I kind of realized that even though drums were, were cool, and I had fun doing it. I definitely wanted to play guitar because I was like an eight year old. I was like, I want to be up on front of the stage. I want to be wowing the audience, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And so what were the first singles or albums that you guys bought? This is always the one that I like to ask because it hopefully undermines any kind of indie credibility anyone has. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. The first one that I really gravitated towards, though, was like, I need to buy this with the money that I saved up was probably Nevermind. Right. Um, that record is just so important, not just to me, but I mean, I think to pop culture. You know? Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, that was Nirvana was definitely the band that was like, whoa, like first band to obsess over, first band to really be into. I think I know every single thing they ever recorded. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely an obsessives band for sure. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And they're to dive into Kurt's ability to just write these amazing hooks as well. I know that some of them might have been slightly lifted from elsewhere, but uh, he had a way with being able to write amazing pop hooks. Of course, well, all pop hooks is like, I feel like stealing in some sort, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're so close to each other, especially, I mean, not back then, but especially nowadays in the 2020s, you know, melodies are getting more and more closer to each other, which is both a good and a bad thing, you know? Mm. Uh, I think I bought like a total of like three albums in my entire life, I think. Wow. Because I grew up, yeah, dude, I grew up (laughs) in the point where I had a computer from like my parents had a computer from a young age. So we'd like listen to stuff on YouTube. Oh, um and then i remember i was like a middle school band or elementary school band uh like class i was playing like xylophone or something and the band teacher's like stealing music is wrong don't you dare go to the library and rent out a maximum of 30 cds and download them all to your computer that would be bad <laughs> and he actually was serious about it but i thought it was a great idea so I went, to, <laughs> I, went, I went to the library and like for like a week straight i'd get 30 cds and come back and download them all on my computer so i got like 300 albums uh, <laughs> or no yeah 10 days I, I don't know at some point it turned into like 300 albums and it's probably like probably illegal but it's been a long time i was a kid um so i think the, the, the record i remember buying actually was um i couldn't find it at the library and i got really into just youtube videos as a little kid um 
and it was called, it was does this look infected by some 41 okay right yeah yeah <laughs> i couldn't pronounce it either because i was i was very dyslexic and i was like i was too i didn't want to ask people how to say it so i like would just like i just i went up to try to buy it and like, i i couldn't pronounce it at all and i don't remember this awkward interaction anyway loved the record it was awesome i'm not the hugest sum 41 fan anymore back in the day it's lap but they're a, they're a gateway band, right? Like Blink-182 and all the rest of that. You've got to start yeah. somewhere. For sure. I'm, I can still get down to it, but I'm not listening to it on the daily. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think the first album I ever bought with my money, I was probably gifted a few more albums before, you know, I did chores around the house and saved up enough to get my first album. Yeah. It was probably Couldn't Stand the Weather by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. Yeah, really into the into the blues scene, into Stevie. As a kid, everyone's just like, holy crap, nobody can play like this guy. You know, I just wanted to be him. I wanted to learn all of his songs, which when I was like eight years old was just way too hard to play. Pentatonic <laughs> 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 scales. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like maybe record stores were a big deal for maybe two of you. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I mean, how, how does that compare to today, though, in the world of streaming and everything? I mean, are physical releases even a part of, you know, your, your kind of thought process? Well, we still have about 50 to 70 CDs left over from a tour that we went on two and a half years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think to me, physical CDs and things like that now are like almost like art. You know what I mean? Like if you have a really cool box set, for example, I really like this guy named Stephen Wilson and I have an awesome box set that he signed and like, that is really cool art to me. You know what I mean? Mm. But now of course it just makes sense, you know, to stream, you know, yeah. and have that encyclopedia of music. Cause I think it's good for people to, consume all this beautiful language of, of music and have all these different tongues and, and genres that they can access. I think that's a beautiful thing. Mm. I don't think I have a way of playing a CD. Like, I'm just trying to think if there's anywhere in the house that we have like a way. I have a CD player from Heather. What? The, the, the CD ripper. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I have a computer. <laughs> yeah. I haven't used that three years. It's like the CD player in my car is in the glove box. Like if they don't, they don't build them into the center console anymore. It's like a dirty little thing. <laughs> I thought in high school that it was in the trunk. Right. What? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Wait, I I have actually been in cars like that before. Yeah, that's it was weird. a weird old European car, and it was yeah. just in the back of the. It was in the trunk. And you have like multi changes where you can put five or six CDs. Yeah, in yeah. There. I had like six decks, but you'd have to like physically get out of the car, open the trunk, like stick your CDs in. It made no sense whatsoever, but I remember that being a massive thing in the nineties. Like, yeah, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> awesome. Which were your first acts that you saw live? I think Max, you were saying Cake was yours, certainly. First yeah. concert I actually ever went to was Buckethead. Wow. <laughs> what? Yeah, saw Buckethead. Excellent. I thought it was really sick. I remember getting up on shoulders and things like that as a kid and like you seeing KFC bucket. bucket? No, he actually was wearing just a white bucket. Oh, it wasn't a KFC, it's gotta be a KFC bucket. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, that concert was actually really cool, you know, because I thought Buckethead was cool growing up. Uh, and yeah, I think what he does is, is cool. I think he had backing tracks actually even then too. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I haven't heard of Buckethead in years. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been a minute. Mm. Uh, my first concert was Rush. Yeah. 
Wow, that's not a bad first concert, as things go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was one of their last tours too, so I was pretty stoked that I got to to see that. Mm. My last guest on here said that his first concert was a a stadium Aerosmith concert. Was it Aerosmith? No, it was Bon Jovi. And I was like, where that's your first, like outdoors in a stadium as your first gig. It just seems so almost overwhelmingly big. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of felt like that too. I'm from a very small town. So we had to travel like two hours to get to the arena just to go see it. No mm. local acts come through. So I was like, all right, we're going, we're sending it. <laughs> and so you guys are from Boston originally. What was the reason that you've moved out to LA? School ended. Uh, (laughs) i mean la is the place for entertainment i also outside of the band i also do acting and obviously los angeles is the place to be both a musician and an actor Mm. Uh, but also just the way the industry is out here you know we all work with other artists and we we write and the music that we make is some fantasies of course is embracing more and more pop music and alternative pop music and this is really just the place for that in my opinion Mm. yeah also boston scene was like we played their whole scene for four years. We love the city, but it was kind of saturated because of the fact that there's like two really good music schools just like right in the center. And so we had kind of like gotten to the point where it didn't really have a whole lot to offer us as far as live music or opportunities because like a lot of music industry is not in Boston. It's in New York or LA. So we kind of knew we were going to go to LA and a lot of our school followed us as well. And There's a lot of us out here. Is it a natural progression from your school is to go out to L.A.? Yeah, there or Nashville as well. Nashville's a big club. Yeah, Mm -hmm. not country, so we didn't do that. Well, there's there's (laughs) non-country in Nashville, too. I mean, we've got a bunch of friends in Nashville, but... It's too humid. It's too humid. (laughs) (laughs) Not good good for the hair. (laughs) (laughs) And um, was it 2020 that you moved out to L.A. as well? So right in the middle of or right at the beginning of COVID. Was that also a factor or was that, you know, just a... A little bit. I mean, we knew that we were going to go to Los Angeles before we even heard of new COVID at all. But at the end of the day, I think moving out there was actually really nice to do at that time because uh, we were able to kind of get our feet on the ground, get our place set up, get our studio set up, record a bunch of stuff, able to do that in the middle of the pandemic and when things were opening up and live shows were happening again, we were already settled in. Mm. And I know a lot of people were kind of settling in while the city was opening up afterwards. So we kind of had that head start and we were able to just kind of just sit and quarantine, right? Do things, do the COVID way out Mm. here. Work on the album too. Because we got here in in August slash September of 2020. So we Mm. had a full like eight months of just kind of, being in the house, everything was varying levels of being shut down to like completely shut down. Uh, so we really just, yeah, we spent the time working and writing and getting ready for the city to open up. Right. Pretty beneficial. Yeah, I can imagine that, yeah, having a kind of stable foothold, especially in somewhere like LA, where it's uh, kind of sprawling and you can get lost quite easily in the crowd, I think, to kind of be able to hit the ground running with a finished product. And kind of it's all the kinks are worked out of it as well, I suppose. That's a good place to be, right? Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. Gave us time to get to know the city too, just drive around, see different parts. Traffic was way less, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, you were spoiled with that. I've been stuck in some of that LA traffic myself in the past. And there were... Yeah, yeah. it's horrid. 
life at this point. Yeah. It's like I probably spend at least five hours a week in traffic. Maybe <laughs> that's pretty good. Honestly, no, I probably spend more. Yeah. <laughs> so how was kind of covid for you guys are you kind of living together all in one house or yeah you, yeah. yeah it was it was great honestly I, I look back at it as a good time uh we were able to write a lot of music um we were able to make ends meet we were able to you know we're blessed to be able to do that and blessed to be able to do what we do out here uh mm. i think that's a that's not the case for a lot of people and i feel very fortunate for that mm. yeah we're lucky dudes you know it's like it's it's pretty sick we get you gotta you know graduate school and move out here like in pretty timely manner like a lot of good friends are still you know making their way out here after aspirations of wanting to be out here so it's yeah it's awesome yeah Yeah. it was mainly good there are definitely some downsides like you know we love recording music and writing music but like our main thing is live shows like that's what we love to do that's where we think we excel the most and we didn't play a show for almost two years and that was definitely a bummer for sure we had to find alternative ways to get that creativity out and continue to play with each other like getting on tiktok and making a bunch of really stupid tiktoks because why not we're in the house all day (laughs) yeah yeah that that was a big factor for us actually we really started doing tiktok and then found a new fan base for us to connect with Mm, yeah because that that's uh that's one of the things that i was going to get to is like tiktok seems to be quite a burgeoning thing for a lot of younger bands now i'm of an age and in bands that don't really get it but i understand that if you get it and you uh, if you're good at it then uh, it, it does definitely benefit you so how, how have you kind of seen you know your profile grow then in the last couple of years while you've been growing that audience yeah it's been great honestly i mean it's it's hard to promote original music on there at least i've found you have to be really clever with it and we've had it done before but we're trying to get better at it and of course you know it's a it's a curve but tiktok is also the type of thing where if you just do it over and over and you learn what you know what makes it good you catch people's attention real quick in the beginning of the video uh it can really be very beneficial um, but it's just important to remember it's like a lot of people look at a big viral video as like the key and like it can be for sure but the big thing to take away is that one big viral moment is just a step you know it's about multiple ones like that it's about it's just a a step forward it's not the step forward you know mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's important for a lot of people to remember but also I think a lot of bands don't get it because they just aren't really spending time on the platform. You know, you, one thing that we've been learning with in terms of content is you have to make it feel like it's meant for that. You know, you mm-hmm. can't make the same thing and then post it on four different things in the same edit. You know, it's yeah. important. That part. Yeah. Well, you're, uh, <laughs> you're just kind of learning the environment of every social media you're on because there's so many different genres and flavors of it. And mm-hmm. TikTok has a very specific feel. Um, yeah, we definitely had a lot of time, again, during COVID, especially, like, when we, we spent the first four months of COVID in Boston, and we were, that, that city was shut down. We were basically, Don and I lived together, and we would go to one other house, and it was his house. Right. Uh, and so we didn't see people. We were stuck in an apartment with, like, suicide windows, so you couldn't even really open the windows, no balconies and stuff. Yeah, that means yeah. that you can't open the windows that much. Yeah, yeah no. I <laughs> so we were, like, I, I didn't know that until I moved in there but we were stuck there for a minute and we didn't have the ability to like we we didn't have a drum set we couldn't really record we would kind of just do stuff in in logic in Dom's room Uh, but because of that we spent a lot of time like familiarizing ourselves with the app 
of TikTok before yeah. we moved to LA and like started making them. We got really familiar with the trends and also just, you know, open the app and then, oh, whoops, four hours went by, crap. Yeah, it's a it's a black <laughs> hole. Um, it's really a black and hole. it changes really, really quickly. What's funny last week is no longer funny. You know, it's, yeah. it's like it, the environment of it and the way things become viral, it's, it feels very, it's like meme culture meets like entertain, <laughs> entertainment platform meets like DIY it, 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 it's it, capturing the feeling of the pro of the platform is the hardest part without mm. just being on it you know yeah so how long would you say that you plan a single video in that case like what what's the kind of process behind it or is it just like jumping on the latest I don't know dance craze or, uh, or whatever and, yeah we don't really do the dance video <laughs> <laughs> but but it depends some some things are conceived and filmed very quickly within a few mm. hours this stuff is like you know we'll take a day to arrange the song you know what our we've done a lot of different things we do what if this song sounds like it was done by this band right. we do what if we did this song um and a, a bunch of other things but a lot of it is one day we'll arrange the song record the song then i'll go into my logic pro x and and uh edit and arrange produce mix make it sound good and then we'll film the next day and then we'll post so the whole thing typically takes about two uh days but not two full days no know. not full <laughs> days yeah. it's split up of course but over overall i think hours wise it takes anywhere between four to eight accumulatively right and, and this and is the thing that people don't really kind of understand they see it as like a 10 second thing Oh yeah, they don't think. Yeah. Oh, that's clearly spontaneous, but no. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons. Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good. Well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. There's a lot of like, there's a bunch of different content types and we try to have like, you know, some really high effort videos where we just take a lot of time and really like dive in and make something like we like spend a lot of time with the filming and the editing. And there's some stuff that like 
we we have a bit where we'll try to play Red Hot Chili Peppers song while eating this like really really hot hot sauce. The world's yeah. ninth hot sauce. Yeah. It's the ninth hottest hot sauce and, in the world. And we all love <laughs> This is like next level, kind of like that melt your face, that hurts, hurts your stomach. But it's fun because it's like trying to focus and play something while like experiencing that kind of like it's a like fun pain, you know? It's, it's euphoric. Yeah, yeah, it's euphoric is for it? sure. It's kind of yeah. like being high in a way. Yeah, no, <laughs> it really is. It makes your eyes kind of bulge out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I crave it, man. Like recently, I've it's it's been hard to find things that make me feel spicy. So oh, that hot sauce is like one thing that's like, yeah, it's awesome. Because your spice tolerance kind of goes up and up, up like, when you consume it. Yeah, especially living out here in LA too. You know, mm. Mexican food is it's tough. But it when really I first is. Got, I was like, oh wow, I need to I need to be able to eat this shit. So <laughs> build up your tolerance. Build up my tolerance over time. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so after two years of not being able to gig, you're raising your profile elsewhere on TikTok and what have you. How were the first shows back? How did that feel for you guys? It felt good. I mean, the Very... first one we played was it was like a private party, birthday party thing. So like it was kind of like a house thing. Uh, mm. It was and that was like fine. It was a little rusty, of course, but but uh, it never really the spirit of it never really went away, at least with us, you know, we were all performers. I've been dancing and on stage since I was three years old, you know, being on stage is like what I do, you know? And yeah, it's, it never really went away. You know, it's the the spirit of everything was still there. And now we're just in full swing again, you know? It took us like one or two shows to like, remember how to play on stage again, you know, just like interaction, all that, make sure the parts are good. And then, Right about our third show, so like a month after the city opened, we had our third show, and then that one was like a, a really big success, and mm. we, we impressed a promoter out here and got, kind of got our foot in the door in the LA scene and kind of opened opened a few of the doors for us. So, it nice. didn't really take a whole lot of time, which is kind of nice actually. Mm. That was the first show out here. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and did you feel a difference in the audiences as well? Like, because what I've found since the end of last year and coming into this year the gigs are building up again and i've found that people are really kind of they want live music they they give a lot more is what i've felt since going back on stage but i don't know what what it's like out there yeah i mean <clears throat> la in general is just really really open and supportive of like people doing their own thing of like artists and people trying to just create their their own craft so we, we met a bunch of people at shows and stuff that never heard of any of the bands. They were just there to go to a show. And I was like, that that's pretty awesome. That mm. didn't really happen a whole lot in Boston. So just kind of like the fact that people are out here just trying to see anything creative is is pretty awesome. People are much more open to it. Uh, yeah. I really vibe with that for sure. Mm. Yeah, I just think people were starved of it for so long. It, it almost doesn't matter who's doing it and what they're doing. Everyone's in, Everyone's into it, you know. I think in LA culture in general, it's kind of like that though. Like right. people are so into the arts and it's very respected. Even it, it reflects in fashion, things like that too. You know, people can wear literally whatever they want, make garments out of whatever the hell they like and mm. everybody respects it, you know? In other places, I think people will judge you for that. Mm. And I think it's kind of a closed-minded way to be, you know? I think I like the, I like the whole aspect of the fashion reflecting creativity reflecting art reflecting everything i think it's Mm. really cool yeah i can imagine it's quite a stark contrast to boston i guess i've never been to boston but uh i know a few people who live there 
and um seems like a cool place but la is just a completely different vibe yeah completely different and so you were mentioning that the the guy who produced both records caffeine queen and also the new one how modest the ep is the same guy and i was going to ask about what i perceive as kind of a leap in sound between those two records i assume that's down to yourselves but also it must also be a massive leap on his part as well yeah i mean we i think were the first like i mean i know he's recorded like bands before but we were the first i think like rock project rock based project that he really dove into and he's coming from a lot more electronic music at, at, at least at that point and he makes a lot of pop music and things like that now but uh, back then, you know, I really liked and gravitated towards the way that he mixed and worked and approached our sound because it wasn't like a working with a rock producer. It was like working with an electronic musician and producer. And I really enjoyed that. And of course, since 2019 compared to now, he has been working his ass off to recording mm. and writing and just making music. And you just get better the more and more you do it. Yeah, he's definitely putting in the hours for sure. He did absolutely nothing during COVID except create music, work on mixing, work in his DAW. And like even the difference between just when we moved here in the the past year and a half to now, it's unbelievable how much progress he's made in like Mm. a year and a half. And, you know, we think he's absolutely fantastic at what he does. And it was definitely a specific choice for us not to go with rock producers because we were kind of getting annoyed with how a lot of rock and the mixes are still sounding outdated and people are kind of starting to shit on rock for not being innovative and we're like we want our music that you know at the time of caffeine queen was rock alternative rock we want this to sound modern even if what we're playing you know some may say is not as modern but we want that to sound with like modern production modern mixes bring rock into the 21st century yeah, I think it succeeded as well. I mean, what's your producer's name? Just shout him out. Why not? Nick Smith. I know it's like the most generic name ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Better but, name. Yeah. To work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he succeeded. It sounds like a kind of modern pop record with traditional rock instruments on it. There seemed to be a lot more kind of. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say synthesized bits, but there's there's a few electronic things going on in the background anyway to kind of beef the sound out as well, isn't there? Yeah, especially on our newer stuff. Now it's becoming a part of the arrangement, you know, mm. a part of the song, you know, mm. for sure. It's not just embellishments anymore like it was on Caffeine Queen. Now it's yeah. like the it's like another instrument. And is that your role in the band as well, Max? Is it kind of triggering that stuff or are either of you playing keys and things as well at the same time i'm kind of like half i mean i'm triggering a lot of that stuff because i have like electronic like drum pad that can play a lot of the sounds on but those sounds that i can't play during the arrangements uh are just going straight through the computer Hmm. um and i was really inspired by bands like do you know the band the wombats yeah like yeah i mean they started their career very like instrument focused and heavy and then kind of like throughout their career they started adding more electronic elements Bands like uh, 1975, bands like um, Muse. Muse, bands like uh, freaking 21 Pilots. Like I right. thought it was really sick that you could you could add that, but still feel very live as well at the same time. Yeah, especially as a trio, because like you know, in certain situations live, we are only three people. We have to take up the entire sonic space, and if we can run with tracks behind us and have a synthesizer or another low end instrument, that'll just help beef up our sound in ways that we physically can't play. 
it's not a crutch at all. It's 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 a way of like just making it more unique to reflect our artistry because like we're still like you know giving one hundred and ten percent on our instruments. It's not like we're just doing it and mining around. It's it's really just like it's it's cool that we're able to do it. I think like music of every era and every time uses the technology and tools available to be creative with, and I think this is an amazing type, like tool to use to be creative with. And why not? Yeah. it's there to use isn't it a little bit of getting used to as well and understanding like how because it's, it's just a whole other logistic to work at at venues as well it's like how can you make sure these tracks are coming through as well and like there are some times where people phone it in as well it's like okay i'm gonna play a track and then my vocals will also be in the track and I'm <laughs> on top of it and to me that's not i mean there's a time and place for sure, but like that's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about adding to the live sound, not replacing the live sound. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what are some of your favorite live gigs that you've played? Some of our favorite, like as as a band, uh, as uh, yeah, that you've played as a band. Yeah. Ooh. Well, uh, there was one gig in Boston that we we were playing at the Institute of Contemporary Art. That was oh, a lot yeah. of fun. Um, it was, it's just right on the water side of the ocean and it smelled like beautiful sea salt and uh, there were a lot of people there. Um, There's another one that we played at this park called the Christopher Columbus Park. I think we played for about a thousand people and that was really fun. Uh, I would say our first, uh, probably our first sold out show we ever had was at this club called the Black Note Club in Valencia, Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got all our friends out there and the, the other band we were playing with brought a ton of people and got on stage at like 12.30 a.m., like 1 a.m., like super late. And just Europe has such a great vibe. People were just like there to to enjoy the music and they're a fantastic crowd. It was super fun. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been almost four years since that show. Yeah. Man, that's like, yeah, that one definitely has burned in my memory for sure. And then also, I mean, when it comes to shows out here in L.A., I think our first like venue big show back here was at a, a stinky not dinky it's uh eclectic little club um hollywood. in hollywood uh that um the sound isn't amazing yet but the vibe is amazing um yeah. we got all the homies out and a bunch of people came out and saw us and just we just the energy felt right that night and that was like probably the beginning of last summer it was like the first like la is back open like people were wanting to go back out and it was just pretty like just electric evening mm. and have you ever kind of crossed paths with any of your either kind of musical heroes or have you ever crossed paths with big kind of international touring bands sometimes i mean we we've played before with this band called los walters uh which is from puerto rico but they do a bunch of crazy national tours mm. um in terms, I mean, we've played, I think, more individually with bands like that, but it's them fantasies. That's a path that we're trying to cross more mm. with. I oh, mean, I was out in Nashville. Um, an artist freaking out hired me to record a record, and the producer was the guitarist for Cage the Elephant. And um, super nice dude's name is Lincoln Parrish. And like, that was cool for me because growing up, I loved that band so much. Mm. It was interesting to be in like, just like, oh, you're the person that was on all my favorite records, and you're just a chiller and a heat, like, just so down to earth. So that was one of my moments for sure. But we're going to have more as a band. Yeah. Out here in LA, we've got friends that are like steps and leaps above us doing their, doing their thing. I don't know if they're like <clears throat> international worldwide tours yet, but like they've got big followings. They're pretty successful at what they do. So it's cool to like 
just be literal friends with them. We're just like, yo, come over and play video games with us. And they just, mm. just like, yeah, yeah, we're games. all homies. And it's very nice to be, <clears throat> very, very nice to be inspired and, and friends with just living and breathing the same air, being, you know, collecting experiences together mm -hmm. uh, with people like that, you know, and they're outside of our genre. They're, they're not necessarily a, a, a alternative rock pop trio, uh, mm -hmm. but they totally are, you know, fantastic at what they do and they're inspiring us. And we're really inspired by our friends out here. You know, we have friends out here that are crazy actors and crazy musicians that are doing really cool things just the LA way. And it's amazing to be inspired by friends. I love that feeling. Yeah, dude, rise up with the homies. Yeah. Rise up with your friends. It's like you got each other's back. You show you show up for each other's um, shows because they show up for yours, but also because you like their stuff. It's cool because it's yeah. like having. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a really strong community of, of friends and fellow artists out here, um, and it keeps the fire lit underneath us, and it keeps us fire like in inspired, and we have people to kind of bounce ideas off and talk about. And it's really a lovely, lovely thing. I feel super lucky to have. And I suppose the other thing is if everyone's on a, on a similar trajectory, I think that the saying is a rising tide lifts all ships, you know? So having yeah. that kind of community around you, it all helps everyone. And um, I think that's the, that's the thing. What I was going to ask is if you've met anyone and uh, maybe they failed to live up to expectations, but I think generally the people that you meet are are okay artists are artists at the end of the day and basically anyone i've ever met from bands has just been regular guys really everyone just wants to do well and encourage others really positive community for sure like you know i think the the people on the top are typically the people that tell me that they're beginners <laughs> you know <laughs> like people are like oh man i'm just starting out like like I, I know this drummer who's just toured the world and played with a bunch of different um different like artists and bands warp tour now he does a dubstep kind of thing but every time i talk to him he's like oh man like i'm just a, i'm just a beginner man like you know i'm here to learn from you i'm here to learn from the people around me super humble lovely man that's what you're saying isn't it it's like you've got to treat it like you are still starting out and you can take inspiration from anywhere so why not talking a bit more about the new ep how much of it was a kind of conscious decision to start writing more kind of socially conscious songs perhaps like for example nice guy i know that on caffeine queen there were a couple of songs like uh hookup culture that kind of dealt with those themes but it seems like you're tackling them more head-on on the new EP so has that been like a conscious decision and if so like was there a, a situation that perpetuated that that started that thought process yeah. I think I think you know there were definitely conscious decisions to start writing songs that were more meaningful I mean we've just really dove compared to Caffeine Queen to this new EP uh, we've really really focused in on lyric writing and and just songwriting in general because the way I think about it is Caffeine Queen is a lot more of like an instrumental flex and there's really cool stuff on there. But How Modest is more about the songs, you know, and what, what the songs represent, what they are. And for Nice Guy, I don't think it was a situation in particular, but I know it's a situation that every guy absolutely been in, you know, whether they have friends that, that they're afraid to call out or there's people around them that they feel like, oh, someone, this isn't my job to do this, it's somebody else to do this, but it's, it's still important. And I, I, that song is is nice too because we actually have a a uh, co-writer on there 
as well that is not a uh, not a white male like us yeah. uh, and is female and and is very very it was very nice for perspective on that you know making sure that it's not just coming from the three of us but it's coming from an objective take you know mm. okay and so was it like you say everyone's kind of had those uh those moments at parties where someone's acting out of line i guess but it's not based on a specific person or incident not a specific person no i mean there's people we can think of that come to mind when <clears throat> we think of the term nice guy or stuff like that but it's not it's not directed at anyone specifically no it's more an overarching theme and th- things that we've observed mm-hmm. you know a lot of the, the content we write about is things that we've observed mm-hmm. uh, and we try to do it objectively or as mm-hmm. objectively as we can in that situation yeah and uh, I suppose a spoiled AF is uh, is not about any one particular person. <laughs> no. uh, it's about the, uh, the LA elite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, I mean, I mean, yes, elite, but also just people that kind of, like, are are trying to be so flashy. Because I find, like, the ultra-wealthy people don't care if, if you know they're wealthy. It's like the people trying to show the ultra-wealthy people yeah. that they're wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Like, but being like, oh yeah, check out all my flashy things. Yeah. Like, you know, all the flashy things for, you know, like it's like the cubic zirconium to a diamond kind of thing. It's like, it's the fake to look nice. Yeah, it's just yeah. material. It's about materialism, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was, it's a simplify what Max said. It's about materialism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also the, the other thing is I've noticed that there aren't any um, songs over, say, they all come in under four minutes. Is that also another kind of way of writing songs that has streaming platforms in mind and the algorithms and things like that? Because I know that on your previous things, you had a couple of songs that were over five minutes and they're very kind of proggy and a bit jammy. And I love I love a bit of that. But the algorithms don't tend to like that so much. So, yeah. I mean, here's the thing is that we still love doing stuff like that, but I think that's best for the live show because the live show, there's no time limit. We can elongate any song you want. We can vamp certain sections. We can have crazy solo sections, but I think the record it's, I think the recorded version is something that's good shorter, especially in today's streaming age. Think of it like, uh, for example, a jazz standard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have your, you have your form and you have the song that everybody knows but when people perform it live, it turns into this incredible different thing that everybody has their own take on and they elaborate on. You know, that's the way that I kind of look at these songs. Yeah, we were, we were starting to look a lot more at pop music and also getting feedback from some of the stuff on Caffeine Queen. And there, a lot of the, the feedback that we got was, you know, I want to be hooked in immediately and your song basically doesn't start until like 45 seconds or a minute and you have this crazy intro or whatnot. And we're like, oh, that's definitely a good point. You know, if people can't be drawn into the song in the first like, five to ten seconds the chances they listen to the whole thing are significantly diminished i'm mm. speaking of social media age it's like i know i'm squirrel brained about it like i mean see me how i scroll through tiktok i get videos like two or three seconds before i decide i want to watch them or yeah, not you're the problem buddy. yeah I am. <laughs> um but i'd say you know when a song can like hook me in immediately and keep me there it's more important or not more important but it's it's more impactful sorry roommate just walked by <laughs> I do my best to antagonize them, but that also makes (laughs) me. Yep. 
<laughs> Squirrel brain. Yeah. Squirrel, yeah. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> so is there like, I don't know, do you, do you kind of front load the songs now? Do you, do you instantly think, well, okay, do we start every song now with the chorus or like the main hook, then the chorus, or do you, do you save that? Is, is that a part of the process that goes on or are you still like, no, we'll, we'll still have like verse. Is there a specific way? Yeah. Cause I feel like modern pop music is kind of, it feels like it's boiling back down to like 1950s pop music and sixties pop music where they were all about a minute and a half to two minutes long. And it's just hook, 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 you know? So so I think that's good from a songwriting point of view. It makes you much better at being able to write these things. If you can think of hooks. Exactly. Hooks, hooks, hooks. Um, I don't think the form is necessarily affected, at least to us is in terms of, I think what's more affected is vocals. You know, when I think people listen to a song, especially non-musicians, uh, vocals are what draw them in, you know, mm-hmm. to, to music, right? Uh, and I think just starting with the vocals right up front or just having a very small intro and then vocals in, that doesn't necessarily mean starting with the chorus. That mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean starting with the verse, but it means whatever it is, just have vocals, you know, come in and kind of hook people in. So the mm-hmm. form we can still be experimental with, you know, Afterglow, which is a song on the EP, is not a conventional form at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still is vocals in very soon and it still works in that manner. You know, the chorus doesn't even come in until after verse two. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we like to keep it. Cause also like nobody wants to hear the same song form over and over and over again. We want to try to vary it with each of our songs or at least vary them slightly. Uh, so that's definitely, we, we definitely keep that in mind when we're writing, you know, keep things different, vary it up, change it up to how we, you know, how we see fit or what we think is creative. We got another song we've been writing recently that like, you know, we do two minutes of just like, you know, verse, chorus, like interlude, verse, chorus. And then we have like a, like a whole minute of an outro, which is a beautiful, almost like, not like strings arrangement, but it just like, it's orchestrated. Not, it's just orchestrated. Yeah. It's just like a moment. It's like, okay, we reached that moment in the song, <laughs> like let's sit back and relax kind of thing. So it, it doesn't, we don't have to be in such firm forms. Hmm. We just want to make sure we have a hook you know something to get people in yeah the vocals are the key to that if anybody's listening to this and or if anybody wants to to learn about that and getting that in you know you don't have to be intimidated by these short song algorithmically oh no my music isn't going to do well in this age because i like long intros it's like you can still have stuff but just have the vocals come in quick you know Mm, that's the easiest slap the band-aid on there thing (laughs) <laughs> and we we like to try to you know along with vocals we try because we're instrumentalists we we try to grab people as much as we can with our instruments as well so mm. songs like spoiled and growing pains you know spoiled is pretty much instantaneous you hear the the wild uh envelope filter on the bass and people are like oh shit what's coming and then for growing pains we have the meter change yeah. um and that's a way that like we can try to interest people and kind of grab their attention without having vocals and then mm. the vocals still come in pretty immediately afterwards so mm. will there will there ever be another uh, song like together eyes closed because that one yeah. for me Maybe. like when i was listening to that I, I had it on in the background while i was doing a bit of work and i was like oh this is nice this is nice and then all of a sudden there's this like wailing guitar solo that comes in <laughs> yeah i think maybe i mean you know that's for when you want a record you know what i mean because right right now we're in the phase where it's like hey we just put out this ep 
What's next for us is we're going to be putting out a bunch of singles because that's the most effective campaign way to grow your brand, your art, whatever, you know. Mm. But when it comes time again to sit down and really make an artistic album a take, I think those things are justified. They're just not singles, you know. Mm. Yeah. And like that's one that like we've we don't really get a chance to play that live a whole lot just because sure. you're due to set times and the fact that that really slows the vibe down and it's a six minute song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's one that we've specifically been talking about recently that we really want to play live again because it is very mm-hmm. fun. It's one of our favorite songs from the record. And at this point, it's a pretty pretty deep cut you know even the fact yeah. that you're bringing that up right now we're just kind of like oh yeah it just stood out to me you know it does its thing for about three three minutes three and a half minutes and then it turns into this massive beast towards yeah, right. the end and that i guess is another way of swapping it up a little bit is having almost two songs in one but you were saying that the campaign way forward now is ep singles and then the album is a thing down the road. Is that, again, is another way that the industry, I think, has changed in the last decade, probably. When does it become time to release a full-length album now? Um, I think when, when, the, when the fan base is ready for one, you know. If, if we're releasing singles over and over and kind of just doing our thing, uh, you know, that's a great way to build things up and build traction. But when you want to give those fans a another piece of art that they can really stick with and hang with for a long time that's when it's time mm-hmm. for an album so for mm-hmm. us it's probably going to be two years you know and that's okay the alternative answer to that is if a label gets involved you know because yeah. we're, we're independent right now uh so we can do whatever we want but mm-hmm. if we're signed at some point in the future and they're like put out an album we kind of have yeah, to do that it's just the context thing you know it's like I think the most of the music I consume too, like, I like listening to albums all the way through, but I think a lot of our, like, the artists we look up to right now uh, are putting out EPs and just like kind of like consistently dropping music left and right. Cause it's not a physical mm. release anymore, you know? Exactly. You anytime you can put out, you can drop a single if you wanted every week, like, mm. and you just have something new that's going on all the time. Um, Plus Spotify likes that. Spotify really wants you to release yeah. music consistently. And it takes way less time to write one song than it does to write nine. Sure. And we're at the point where we can produce something all by ourselves or with our roommate too. And yeah. It can be, you know, we're not outsourcing that much stuff. We're not going mm-hmm. to the studio at all. Yeah, we, whole we have our own studio. Yeah. A lot of highly recorded in our living room. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? If you've got all the know-how and the expertise in-house, why do you need a record deal, I guess? Or why do you need that kind of infrastructure behind you? where there's a requirement to have an album out at a certain point, whereas you guys can just kind of be like, well, we wrote this song, here it is. It's a good place to be. But is the dream still to get onto a major or even an independent record label? Yeah, more independent majors. We have a lot of friends that are signed to majors and, and they're, you know, it, it's still, of course, it's incredible. And there's a lot of money up front, you know, in the advances and everything like that. But mm. they, you know, there's a lot of horror stories, man. And there's, it's important to, to remember, you know, a lot of people took those sacrifices for us to learn from, you know, yeah. and, and that's important. And, you know, and nowadays, I think a really cool food for thought thing is there's this guy, Russ, who says that you're more better off as an artist that's starting out to literally get a loan from the bank than signed to a major, because you have to look at labels as banks. You know what I mean? Like they, they really are. Of course, they're giving you opportunities too, but it's like, if you need money, mm. that is the place that they fund you. You know what I mean? So 
it, it you got to just view the label as a bank. If you need the money and you need to go through with something and you need those opportunities, then yeah, go you you can you know try to go out and try to get a label deal. But independent is the freedom is important, especially nowadays because you're more able to do so. Yeah, both artistic mm-hmm. freedom and like owning all of your your at least a good chunk of your masters. Yeah, you know that's what you make money on, and if the label's taking all of it, you're doing all the work and they're making all the money. That's we don't want to be going in that direction. Because labels also expect you to, you know, to make the full record kind of on your own before they'll sign you a lot of the mm. time, just from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, present us this whole thing of music that we didn't pay for. Oh, now we own it, though. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because like, I suppose there is less small print with a bank loan than there is with a label contract. So, uh, yeah, and then you still own 100% of your own work then as well. So it just makes sense before I kind of bring it to an end, is there anything that you guys are listening to that you think others should be tuning into or uh, what bands and artists are influencing you right now? Oh man. Uh, there's this one artist we, Max and I really love uh, from San Francisco and their name is called underscores. Okay. Uh, and super experimental um, hyper pop with rock influences. Um, very, very 2022. Uh, you should definitely check it out. It's very experimental. I think it's some of the most refreshing stuff in the rock scene right now. Um, it's really cool to listen to. Like they put out two, um, it's just one person. Uh, they put out, like, cause they produce everything, but they put out two, um, like EPs in, uh, 2021. And then my top two favorite yeah. records. They're amazing. And yeah. they're just like the artistry and the sheer, just like willingness of what they're want, putting in there is insane. Okay. It's a good yeah. one. I'll look those up. How about you, Eric? Um, I would say for me, there's 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 two. Uh, Willow's album that she released last year, Lately I Hate Everything. Uh, she went in a more uh, rock slash pop punk direction, and it's fantastic album. Again, really refreshing to, to hear what she's doing in the rock scene, especially at such a young age. Mm. Um, and then switching gears entirely from rock, um, <clears throat> actually into the UK scene, uh, Yusuf Days and Tom Mish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yusuf okay. Days is one of the most innovative drummers out there. He's in the London, UK jazz scene, and he's absolutely phenomenal. I've not heard a drummer like him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's one of my favorite drummers right now. Like, and Tom Mish is amazing because he can kind of, he, he can do the pop music thing, he can kind of do his own thing. Like, this whole crew of musicians around him, just super inspiring. Like, they're, you know, the guitar has been played by so many different people and it's crazy when you can have your own new voice on it, you know, like, and I think there's, you know, there's going to be plenty more iterations of people doing a completely new thing with it, but it's just amazing to just go like, wow, like there, I've never heard someone play like that. Mm, Excellent. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to go and look those up now. So what's next for you guys? Obviously you were saying after the EP, which came out in January, wasn't it? February actually. Was it February? more than a week ago yeah okay so are you touring that or are you just like you're just playing shows in LA at the moment and then what what's the plan from there yeah we're doing shows in Los Angeles our next show actually is this Saturday coming up it's going to be our EP release show at the Peppermint Club in West Hollywood it's a very awesome place with like bottle service and we like that (laughs) but after that uh, just other shows in Los Angeles um, and probably in about two or three months, we'll just be releasing singles probably every six to eight weeks, you know. And we're keeping our eyes open for touring opportunities, but uh, we've done our own DIY tours. And if we're going to go on tour again, we kind of want more support 
Yeah. Uh, so we're not eating sandwiches out of the back of our car and sleeping on floors. You know, it's fun. It's a good, it's a good it's time. Doing. We've just done it twice now. Yeah. And I don't see the, you know, we don't, we don't need to do it again. Yeah. The quality of life, just a little bit. Yeah, I think we need to put out, just we want to put out more music. You know, we want to keep kind of this train of like putting out a lot of stuff and kind of being around the West Coast and seeing mm. where that takes us. Yeah, because yeah, like we, we got to know the East Coast pretty well from being there for so long, but we're still new to LA even. And we haven't really ventured a whole lot outside of LA. We need to get to know San Francisco, San Diego, uh, just kind of the whole California vibe. So mm. we would love to be supporting acts for a band on tour or something. So like being the opening band for a tour, I think that would probably be our next move. Yeah, and it will happen with yeah. time. I'm sh- absolutely sure it will a hundred percent i think you guys are amazing i'm a fan i'm a convert thank you means a lot man and uh, hopefully this goes out to enough people i've got quite a few listeners out there in california um texas new york all over but mainly kind of those three states are the big kind of places so hopefully there's some people out there in california who may not have heard of you already and might come out to a show totally Next this day. Saturday, man, Peppermint yeah. <laughs> Well, brilliant. Thank you so much, guys, for your time today. Any kind of parting words? Um, go stream How Modest, right? Ooh, yeah. Repeat. We're uh, so on all platforms. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And Club Penguin. Yeah, MySpace. Exactly. You can DM me on Google+, add me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I'm the HR director of Bim Fantasies LLC. Send mail out by Carrier Pigeon, so you know exactly. Yes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> us, you know, we're pretty responsive on social media. Yeah. Like, you know, we're more than happy to interact with fans, and yeah. we love it. We're lucky. So thank yeah. you, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks I'm for sure. interviewing. Appreciate it, man. Sure, great things are coming your way. Catch you soon. Bye bye. There you go. What a lovely and very talented group of lads. I feel like I should probably try to give TikTok a go, but I never feel as old and out of touch as I do trying to figure out what the hell's going on in TikTok videos. I wish them fantasies every success, and I suggest you go and check out their music wherever you stream it or listen to it, and if you do, let them know I sent you. Till next time, take care of yourself and stay safe. for listening to this episode of band biographies if you enjoyed it please don't forget to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts please do reach out on twitter at bandbiogs, instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com see you next time It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 